0: And the story begins. Okay, friends. <clears throat> we are moving on to the binding of Isaac, the Akeda, which is on page 13. On the bottom of page 12, there's a short prayer we recite on days Ta'chnun is recited, on days that the confessional prayer is recited, beseeching God to um, deliver us, have mercy on us just as um, he did on Abraham and just as Abraham was dedicated, we're going to be dedicated. And we talk about Abraham's dedication, the binding of Isaac. This is a um, copy-paste straight from the Torah, straight from the Bible. Abraham had 10 tests that God put him through, testing his loyalty. And the most perhaps explicit one, not all of them are explicit in the Torah. Some of them are based on Midrashim, but this one's clear in the Torah. It's it's quite a long, um, as far as prayers go, not as far as Torah reading goes, but as far as prayers go, it's pretty long. We're not going to do the whole thing today. We're going to split it up into multiple parts. The general story, by raise of hands, before we, we, we get into this, um, who's, under, who's aware of the basic storyline of the binding of Isaac? Are we fans? So, okay, right. Quick recap. <clears throat> God tells Abraham, Offer your son as uh, an offering on an altar. This was the test. Abraham ran and did it. <laughs> and as he is getting Isaac prepared, an angel comes and says, Abraham, don't do it. Don't do it. It was a test. You passed the test. You showed your commitment. And we'll we'll go through the prayer. We'll understand it a little bit of a deeper significance. But let's first understand the context here. Why are we discussing this before prayer? This is part of the preliminary prayers that we say in the morning. It's traditional to recite it daily. But why is it relevant to prayer? Why is it relevant? Why does it belong in the Siddur? We read it twice a year. We read it on Rosh Hashanah, and then we read it when the Torah portion comes up. Um, in Parsha's Vayera, But why are we reading it now on a daily basis? Why is it relevant? In general, there's two reasons. Number one, to remind God the dedication that our patriarchs had and that merit accept our prayers. We come from royalty. <laughs> we come from real dedicated, you know, I, we come from Abraham. We come from Isaac. This is our lineage. This is what we're trying to carry on. So accept our prayers in that merit. But number two, it's a reminder not only to God of the dedication of our patriarchs, it's a reminder to us about the dedication that our patriarchs had. Real dedication, real sacrifice. (laughs) In the most literal sense let let's go through we're going to go through probably the first maybe uh, 10 verses maybe even less today we'll go through them and let's try to understand what's happening what's going on here okay top of page 13 you with me and it was after these events that god tested abraham
1: and he said to them abraham and he answered here i am And he said, God, take your son, your only son, whom you love,
0: Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Okay, let's stop right there. God tested Abraham. (laughs) Again, you hear me say this all the time, and I'm going to say it more often. Translations are dangerous. Tested is a correct translation, but it's not the only translation. But that's why translations are dangerous, or rather, translations are limiting because there's more than one correct way to translate a word. But when you rely on a translation, you're forced to pick one. Take a look at the Hebrew, it's the first line. Behold, it was after these events. And God tested as Abraham. God tested Abraham. The word Nisa has another meaning. And this is going to be so, um, this is going to be an incredible life insight. The word Nisa means test. The word Nisa also means to uplift. God didn't just test Abraham. He
1: uplifted Abraham. Abraham. We, we never ask to be tested. In fact, on the contrary,
0: in one of the prayers earlier on page, uh, I think page eight or page seven, <coughs> page seven, bottom, we specifically ask God, don't test us. Right? don't bring us up to being tested. We don't want to be tested. In the event that we are tested, what God is essentially saying is, I want to lift you up, and it's going to take a little bit of work. might take a lot of work, but I want to lift you up. And God wanted to lift Abraham up. And you know why Abraham was... Now, a test could could break us if we don't pass the test, but if we pass the test, it makes us. right. What was Abraham's response? What was Abraham's response? Let's take a look back at the verse. Abraham said to uh, God, "Tested Abraham or uplifted Abraham?" And He said to him, "Abraham." And he answered, "What did Abraham say? Hinani, here I am." And the Hebrew says,
1: Hinani. God says, "Abraham." Abraham says, Hinani, here I am." It's pretty
0: cool. How often do we call our children, (laughs) whether on the phone or in person? And it's now what? How often do we do that to our own parents? Now what? Phone's ringing again. What do you want? I'm working, right? Abraham was a busy person. He had a life. He had children. He had multiple wives. <laughs> he had a lot going on.
1: But he's ready. Here I am.
0: A, R- Rashi tells us that the word hinani, here I am, is an expression of humility. I'm open. I'm open to do whatever you want. I'm ready. Contrast our um, teenage, adolescent, or even post teenage, post adolescent children to when they were infants and you call them. They turn around to you and smile, right? So what did Abraham have that he had going for him, that he was able to be lifted up?
1: He was like a child to God. He wasn't cynical. He was faithful. He was like a baby in, in a good way. <laughs> he, he wasn't philosophical with God. He was genuine with God. What he felt was a raw connection.
0: The connection we have with an infant or even a, a baby post-infant, it's, it's very raw. They'll do anything and you're going to love them. And then they reach terrible twos and everything is just annoying, right? And then they reach pre-adolescence and everything's even more annoying, and then they reach um adolescents and post adolescence and it's like, come on, man, just, just just why can't you just do things the way I want you to do? Right? There's a, because the relationship is now is, not, is no longer raw. We're no longer focused on the relationship, we're focused on the actions in the relationship, the behavior in the relationship. We're not focused on the relationship itself. But when they were babies, we just love the behavior. We we don't love the behavior, we just love them. <laughs> anything they do is cute Abraham harbored within his inner child I'm a child of God and it's just that simple we call this in Hebrew or Yiddish just
1: simple you're my God and I'm accepting you I'm your child no cynicism This is a raw soul connection.
0: It's not a connection because it makes sense. It's a connection that is just, you know, you don't love your infant for any particular reason. When they're teenagers, we have to start making up reasons why we love them. (laughs) Abraham didn't love God for any particular reason or vice versa. Abraham realized That God loves me, but not for any particular reason. There's just this raw love. Like a child. And because of that, he was open to whatever God had to tell him. Now, it's a good thing he said, here I am, before God told him what he was about to transpire. (laughs) Um, That's what happens when you say yes, before you know what the conditions of the deal are. No, I'm kidding. This is essentially the difference, by the way, between
1: um, th- this is what how Judaism describes genuine humility. Humility means hineni, here I am. What is needed of me? What am I needed for?
0: Humility isn't how uh, isn't loathing in how deficient we are, or ruminating in all of our shortcomings. <laughs> Humility is hineni, here I am, like Abraham. I'm ready. What do you need from me? What motivates that is being like a child to God. Cutting out the philosophy, dropping the cynicism, and just feeling that raw connection. Okay, just up until now, you could understand why we're reciting this. Before prayer, this is definitely getting us in the mode of prayer. Think about this before you pray, before you about to, before you open the seder, before we get to the meat of prayer, the Shema, the Amidah. Let's try to emulate Abraham. Let's try to harness our inner soul, our inner child, that loves God and God loves it, for no particular reason. It's just this raw,
1: beautiful, the result of that, I'm ready, what do you want? I'm here.
0: And then you find out what's actually expected of you. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Okay, before we move on to the next couple of sentences, any questions, thoughts, reflections?
1: Just without bringing up a gigantic uh, controversy, What's the difference in what God commanded Noah and God commanded Abraham? <laughs> how how was it different?
0: What was ex- Noah did? There was no sacrifice expected of Noah. Huh.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true.
0: Right. Noah was expected to save his own life. And he did did a great job doing that. He was expected to save other lives as well. And, He didn't do that he kind of failed at that
1: they both answered the call though of god but the but one of them was uh as you're explaining one of them was much less personal probably
0: it it was less personal you know noah took it took him 120 years to build that ark it was from ikea
1: it <laughs> no, should have it, taken one hour.
0: Yeah, exactly. It took him 120 years to build that ark intentionally because he was. People were supposed to ask him, "Hey, what's what are you doing? <laughs> there's going to be a flood." Is said, What are you talking about? And he was supposed to tell him, "God's going to destroy the world and get them to do teshuva. um a- Abraham had a very different personality. You know, when it came to the to Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham vouched for them. Maybe there's righteous people there. Maybe there's innocent people there. Noah didn't vouch for anybody else. Oh, I could save my family? Great. <laughs> Everybody get in that ark. We're off. I read a beautiful insight from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, one of the early uh, Hasidic leaders and teachers, Rebbes. And he said, why didn't Noah pray for anybody else? He's referred to as a righteous person. Well, then why isn't he praying for others? He believes in God. The problem was he didn't believe in himself. He believed in God, and he believed that God can save himself, and he will. He believed that God could save other people, but he didn't believe in his ability uh, that his prayers can actually make a difference. He had a little bit of self-doubt. Abraham had self-confidence. Abraham was willing to vouch for Sodom. Abraham was willing to share the message that there is one God that is relevant, that matters, that cares. who is was willing to share that for the,
1: to, to the entire uh, world. Um, question. Yeah. Why at the beginning, it says, take your son, your only son, he had another son, Ishmael.
0: <laughs> That's a good question. That's a good question. So Rashi says, Abraham was trying to, sorry, God was trying to set Abraham up. It was part of the test. So let, let's read it inside. And he said, Take your son. So Abraham says, Well, <laughs> what do you mean my son? Which one? Your only son. So Abraham says, well, there's there's, no, there's there's a hidden context that's not in the verse. So Abraham says, well, what do you mean my only son? I have two sons. So he says, the one whom you love. He says, I love them both. So finally, God said, okay, Isaac. Take Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah." And by the way, anybody know where he actually uh, built this offer, uh, altar to offer Isaac?
1: Where the temple is.
0: Yeah. The exact spot where the Mizbeach, the altar, is in the temple, that's the
1: exact spot where Abraham built that altar. To the millimeter. Bring him up as a
0: burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you. Now, God has a very good disclaimer here because he didn't tell Abraham, go kill your son. That's what Abraham understood. He said, go offer him. Offer him to me. I didn't tell. <laughs> don't take me too literal, man. <laughs> or take me more literal, I should say. Offer me, offer him. You don't have to actually kill him. And that's what ended up happening. Abraham at the end said, wait a minute, God, weren't, weren't you sticking to your words? He says, no, no, I, I said to offer him. I didn't say to actually kill him. So sometimes we have to actually listen. We have to be good listeners. And that's important as well. Not to say that Abraham wasn't.
1: This is an incredible test.
0: Abraham was tested in the past. One of the most famous tests was with the King Nimrod in Ur-Kastim. Who's familiar with Nimrod? Nimrod was this evil uh, king who believed in paganism and wanted Abraham sentenced to death because Abraham was preaching his monotheistic beliefs. Abraham started his journey toward monotheism, by the way, from a very young age. He started at the age of three. Maimonides writes that it took him until age forty, till he finally, uh, concretely in his mind, uh, solidified his faith in God. Maimonides writes that he actually wrote text. Uh, Abraham wrote textbooks, in books on works on philosophy, explaining uh, different monotheistic concepts to help it make more uh, more sense to people we obviously don't have these manuscripts anymore the famous story that's brought in the midrash though is abraham's three years old and his dad owns an idol shop my idols are us (laughs) he owns it an idol shop and he says um watch the shop for me i'll be right back and his father comes back and abraham takes a hatchet it smashes all the idols idolatry we don't, we don't tolerate idolatry it's and it's not what god wants and god is the true deity so he smashes all the idols except for one and he puts the hatchet into the hand of that idol his father comes back says what did you do I said i didn't do anything what do you mean you didn't do anything? you're the only one here he says look at that idol he's holding the hatchet idols don't hold <laughs> you're you're trying to pawn it off on an idol? It's an idol. You think the idol broke off? We're going to lose all our money. Come on. So he says, you don't think the idol can do this? You think it's me? He says, there's no way an idol can do this. It was you. So he says, then why are you serving the idol? <laughs> You're serving something you don't believe in. Not only does idolatry not true, you don't even believe in it. <laughs> right? How, how many times does our uh, inner idol, <laughs> our harah? Try to convince us of something that we don't believe and it doesn't believe. Right? The famous story of the Chafetz Chaim. Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan in his older years, he passed away in his 90s. I think in 1930. 1930 or 1920 maybe. He passed away in his 90s. He was an old man. He was in shul. He said, Rabbi, you're an old man. You're not working anymore. Why don't you sleep in? Go to the later minion. So he says, that's what my are Hara, my evil inclination, told me this morning. And I said, wait a minute, you showed up to your job pretty early. <laughs> Shouldn't I wake up early too? <laughs> In other words, you don't believe what you're trying to talk me out of or talk me into. Why should I believe it? <clears throat> now, I, 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 okay, one second, I lost track here. What were we talking about? Okay, Nimrod. So Nimrod says, Abraham... You believe in uh, this one God thing? Well, we're going to sentence you to death because that's, and that's not what we, uh, we, we don't do there. So what he did was he had Abraham tied up and thrown into a big furnace. Abraham made the jump. They give him an ultimatum. Deny this whole monotheistic thing. Accept the pagan gods, or we throw you in the fire. And Abraham jumped into the fire. And miraculously, he was spared. Nothing happened to him. And they were shocked. And he won their hearts. That was pretty, um, that's a pretty big deal. That's a lot of sacrifice. (coughs) That's a lot of dedication. How many of us think we would jump into that fire? Okay, I would tell you your soul is strong enough and you would. But right now, we don't necessarily believe that we might are we, aren't that we, we required not. to yes and your soul would would push you to but your mind right now would tell you i don't know is that something i would do right even though we probably would why don't we read about that that's a pretty big deal this is considered to be a greater degree of dedication the dedication of abraham jumping in the fire was he dedicated to god or was he dedicated to being right no way to really know was he dedicated to God or was he dedicated to the ideology to his own ideology was it true what we call in a hasidic lingo bits was it true it's not about me was it true submitting to something bigger than himself or was he just submitting to his own ideology uh, ideology there's no way to know so god said we need another test and this test showed everybody. That he's truly committed not only to his ideology, to his faith in God, but he's committed to God himself, which itself is a powerful lesson. We need to fight for truth, not just our belief of the truth, not just our version of the truth, but the truth itself. Like Maimonides says, the truth is true because it's true. (laughs) So here's what happens. Um, Let's read this inside. Take I'm going uh, third line in the English. Take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. Go to the land of Moriah. I'm going to read it in the Hebrew. The third line in the Hebrew, because the translation is I'm not going to say not accurate. I'm no authority to say that. I would say not hundred thousand percent literal. Let's let's translate it literally, and you'll see where I'm getting at here. The beginning of the third line in the Hebrew. VaYomer, and he said, referring to God, Kach Na. Please take. Ets bincha. Please take your son. The word na means please. You don't see that in the English. I don't know why, and I'm not here to say it's right or wrong, but the Hebrew word na means please. Why was God saying please? It doesn't usually happen. There's 613 commandments in the Torah. How many times does God say please? <laughs> I don't have a number for you. I, I don't think any of the mitzvahs say please um over here god says please and the commentaries explain that god was giving him a way out implying it's not a commandment i'm just something i want you to do when it comes to a commandment you don't have a choice you got to do it over here god is saying please this, this is not a commandment i'm not your king i just you know will I, you do I, this please he I could have a, said no
1: i have a question yes please so what makes him any different to my lady patient that killed all three of her kids because god told her to do it. it's a hard one because i mean she could be really speaking to god
0: it's a very good question it's a very good question i I, i'll tell you where this question comes up a lot
1: yeah
0: many people will say how do you know that such and such religion is true it, you know they, they have prophets that tell them to do wacky things yeah right what's to say uh this is, this is a little bit off topic but I think this is going to answer your question what's to say um Jesus isn't true right and his prophecies aren't true or the prophecies of the New Testament aren't true or are true right? The Torah explicitly says that if somebody says to do something that is against the Torah, well, then you know they're false. It's not real. So the, the only barometer, um, the only barometer of truth, the only barometer of right and wrong, that's objective is the Torah. Now, Abraham was pre-Torah, right? Right? If right now somebody claimed God told me just like Abraham, go kill your son. And he does it. It doesn't work. There's a Torah (laughs) that tells us what's right and what's wrong. And we have to follow that. And if Abraham um, did that, despite the Torah, it would have been wrong. This is pre Torah. And if Abraham went and actually killed his son, it would have been wrong. In other words, Post test, you know that Abraham was. Uh, Post test, you know that Abraham was doing something absolutely correct. Correct. Pre test, how do you know that? <sighs> it, that's a good question. I'll, I'll be honest. How would I know that? I can't answer the question. I wouldn't know.
1: And then, how in other
0: it- words, I only know it's right because it's in the Torah. But. I- I've heard. If I was observing at that moment, and I didn't experience God. And I'm trusting Abraham that he did. It, it's a good question. I don't know the answer. And, I mean, I could tell you how Abraham knows, but how does everybody else know? I don't know.
1: And I've, how he went with himself, after even at the cons- even conceiving the idea of even remotely thinking that he may do
0: that—that—that's what crazy love is, and crazy love is not always good. But that's what crazy love is. It's well, oh. now I, I do want to mention though, um, this kind of goes um, under the radar, but Isaac wasn't forced into this, Isaac was on board and um, just as dedicated to this mission and kind of knew what was going on as well. And you got, you know, it says over here, a lad, how old was Isaac at this time? He was 37 years old, he was a big boy.
1: Yeah,
0: you know he was no fool. They so they were both in it together. Uh John.
1: I was just in response to what Sharon brought before. I was going to say I, I've heard it said by more than one rabbi: if you uh, if you talk to God, that's great. If he replies, that you better go see a shrink.
0: Right, it, and it's a good question. You see people that are you know kind of aren't with it, and they claim that you know they're having this higher communication maybe it's prophecy i don't know <laughs> um at, at the end of the day if somebody's doing something that's against the torah against god's values then you know it's not prophecy it's it's craziness in, in the how, case of abraham the oh yeah, you
1: know it's craziness but then like how do we know that that wasn't craziness at the time as well well isn't it said that um back back in the in torah times we we basically god wasn't concealed to us and and in our current time god is concealed so we wouldn't like the the thing i quoted before kind of sounds like a joke but in a way it's true right
0: yeah it, it there is a truth to it uh, an element of truth to it the bottom line is i think sharon you have a very good question how do we know where was abraham uh Where was Abraham's sanity, right? So if God told him to do it, if it wasn't God, it was an illusion. Okay, the guy's insane. (laughs) If it was God, and you can ask how could God ask him to do that, and that's a separate question. If it was God, then he's choosing God over his own sanity. He's choosing truth over comfort. It's obviously not a comfortable thing to do. But if God told him to do it, um, on a much more uh, (laughs) microcosmic level, we have situations in our life where God has expectations and it may seem crazy. And everybody's going to think we're nuts. And our own families are going to think we're nuts. And we're going to think
1: we're nuts. (laughs) And we just do it like Abraham. I get that
0: all the time with the whole nuts thing from It family. And that, this is, I mean, this is what Abraham had to put up with. In other words, it's only, if it was indeed God that told him to do it, then how could you not do it? Which leads us to the question of, well, then what was the big dedication? What was the big sacrifice? Because the truth is, if God told you something to do something, even if it was drastic and crazy, would you feel like you have a choice? No,
1: because it's His truth. So right.
0: To- Be- because it's His truth. So then, what is the big deal with Abraham doing this? Okay, it, it is a big deal if you. Not like- but
1: the deal is? The big deal is he's our forefather. That what? That that we related and <laughs> we. <that> <laughs> if he is, I mean, he's he's our father.
0: He's
1: with uh, uh, to all of us, he's out,
0: he's yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But but what would? In other words, you don't have to be Abraham to have this level of dedication when you hear it from the mouth of God Himself. Yeah. So what what is so special? You have other people throughout history, by the way, who had much deeper dedication. We read about the Ten Martyrs on Yom Kippur. We read about uh, Rabbi Akiva and the sacrifice he had. We read about throughout history, yet we choose to um, specifically exonerate Abraham for the sacrifice he had, even though you heard it from the mouth of God himself, we all would have done it if God told us to. Right? So one way to look at it, take a look at the next verse. One, two, three, four, five, six lines from the top. Abraham rose early in the morning. Do you see it? Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him his two attendants and Isaac, his son. The two attendants were Ishmael, his son, Eliezer, his servant, Isaac, so a total of four people. The big deal wasn't that he did what God asked. The big deal is that he woke up early in the morning to do it. He was enthusiastic to do what God wanted. To do what God wants is a big deal sometimes. Sometimes it's not. But the bigger deal is doing what God wants with passion, doing it with enthusiasm. In other words, when we read Abraham Rose early in the morning, we don't just mean that in the, we mean that in the literal sense. He got up early to do it. And the Talmud derives from this verse that whenever you're commanded by God to do something, wake up early and do it. Don't procrastinate. <laughs> don't leave it to the last minute because God is telling you to do it. It's special. Which means we have to wake up not only physically, we have to wake up spiritually. Again, this is why we're reading this before prayer because this is the theme of prayer. Prayer is about waking us, ourselves up. The Talmud derives from this verse that Abraham actually prayed. That's what he did to wake up early. He woke up early and prayed. implying that prayer is all about waking up. Waking our soul up, waking our spirit up, waking up our neshama. And you know what happens afterwards? He saddles his donkey. If we wake up early and we're enthusiastic about what God wants, we can tame our animal soul, the donkey. We're often fighting with our animal soul. We have a battle with our animal soul. To the point that for us non-Tzaddikim, for us regular folk, sometimes we feel like we are the animal soul. And we're just fighting with our, our divine soul. But if we're enthusiastic, and if we wake up early, spiritually, we wake ourselves up, we muster up the strength to be like a child before God as Abraham did. We don't have to fight our donkey anymore. The Hebrew word for donkey is chamor. That's what it says there, chamor, which also comes from the Hebrew word chomer, coarseness, like being thick-skinned. Our animal's soul's thick-skinned, is insensitive to God. But because Abraham was passionate, he was able to saddle it we could saddle our animal soul then you can ride it you don't have to fight it doesn't have to work against you it could work with you this is what Abraham was doing take a look at the next verse he chopped wood for the offering and set out for the place which God had told him on the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar, a third day journey. Ah, I see it from a distance. We're almost there. Commentaries point out it's been three days. He's still passionate. You know, you might think it was a spur of the moment thing. God just spoke to me. Okay, let's quickly do it. Three days later, the inspiration still didn't die down right? He's still enthusiastic, but what happens is still seems kind of far. (laughs) My destination, my spiritual journey still seems distant. Now, we know from Tanya that it's not really that distant. Doing the right thing is very close to home. Like the Torah says, this matter is very close to you. That's the verse in which the entire Tanya is founded on but it may appear far, as the verse says over here. He saw the place from afar. It appears as if it's distant. So what do you do then? Abraham says to his attendants, you stay here with the donkey and I and the ladder are going to go yonder. Leave the animal soul behind. Just drop it and just go where you need to go. And we will prostrate ourselves before God, then we'll return. Sometimes we need a break from the animal soul and we need to prostrate ourselves to God. We need to just pray, experience is close ourselves out from the distractions of the animal soul, the donkey. Because it's, make, it, it's, it's blinding us, it's making our destination, <laughs> our spiritual destination, appear as if it was distant. Sometimes fighting the negativity and trying to saddle it isn't going to work yet. That's the goal. Sometimes we need to just drop it and don't give the animal soul attention. Leave the donkey behind. Just go forward. Let's recap the spiritual side of everything we've just discussed just so we could meditate on this prior to prayer, because I think if we think about this before we dive in, it's going to redefine how we think of davening or how we think of our Jewish heritage. We feel like God is testing us. The word Nisa, test, also means to uplift God, is really trying to uplift us. And if we have that attitude, then what we can answer is, I'm here, here I am. We do that by being like a child to God, being simple with God. I am a Jew, I have an neshama. that's it. A raw relationship like we have with an infant, not like what we have with teenagers. And when we do that, we're ready to answer to God's call. We're ready to be enthusiastic about it. When we're enthusiastic about what God wants, we're able to saddle our donkey to tame our animal soul. And once we tame our animal soul, the journey still may seem distant. We may seem, due to the Uh, The the animals still still may obstruct us. So we say, you know what? You stay behind. And I'm going to prostrate myself to God so I can regain the energy that
1: I need. Okay, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's part one.